But don't you open your Bible to Genesis chapter 17. We're preaching through the book of Genesis. And I got delayed there for a while. And we're back uh, on a roll again through the book of Genesis. I don't like to stop and start because I, I don't want you to forget what I've said. But sometimes I forget too. And I have to kind of go back and remind myself of that. I'm, I guess I'm kind of like the uh, guy who stopped going through the mountains. And, you know, he just never had been to the mountains. They're kind of touring. And, and um, they seen this uh, couple, and they were getting married right in the middle of the day, both of them barefooted. You know, he had on overalls, and she had on a cotton work dress, and and so they was getting married, and, and said, he said, doesn't son, doesn't this seem like a bad time for somebody to get married? This just don't seem right. He said, why are they doing it today? He said, well, sir, I'll tell you. Ma wouldn't marry Pa when he was drunk, and Pa wouldn't marry Ma when he was sober. <laughs> and so they got it right that day. <laughs> so maybe we'll get it right tonight. Amen. All right, we, as we started down chapter number 17, we're looking at the significance of circumcision. I know this is a gory subject. We're talking about one that we generally don't talk about except in passing. But we need to know why that that was such a significant thing in their life and why that it's used in the New Testament in a spiritual way so if you don't know where it came from in a covenant way, you certainly won't know where it came from in a conversion way, right? So to, we're going to look at those things tonight, and we're going to start back where we left off last week, and that was in number three, which is response to the covenant. Response to the covenant. That'd be uh, Roman numeral number three, Okay. Now, the first thing I have written down uh, on your sheet, I think, it is a laugh of faith, a laugh of faith. You say you can laugh and still have faith at the same time? Well, yeah, it's real possible, okay? It's very possible. First of all, that laugh of faith, here's how it all come about. Sarai was called Sarai because her name meant if you, you don't get it right, I'm going to go back and preach the last sermon four more times. But what's her name? Princess. You're right. Sarai means my princess. So Abraham called Sarai my princess. Now, I doubt there was some times he called her his princess. Uh, and I think one of those was that Hagar moment. That thing didn't work out too good. But then you also have now a change in names by God. Aren't you glad God's in the name changing business? Before you got saved, you had a bad name. I mean a bad name. You ever hear anybody say, I'd leave them alone. They got a bad name. You ever hear that? Before you got saved, you had a bad name in heaven. You know it? But God changes us and gives us a brand new name. And he births us again, gives us a new life, right? So Sarah was the name that God gave her. And notice the difference. They're close. The first one, Sarah, means my princess. Sarah means 
a princess. In other words, she's not just yours. She's mine, God said. In other words, God said, I didn't put her there for just your pleasure and your purpose and your privilege. I put her there because I have a purpose for her. I'm going to use her, and I'm going to show great faith through this woman, Sarah, who's now changed to Sarah. So she's not just my princess of Abraham. She is now a princess. That was God's position for her. Now, God says, Sarah, you had not heard your name yet. Your name hadn't been called yet, but now you have heard your name. Now, remember, Abraham's name had been changed. Abraham's name meant what? Father. You're right. Yeah, daddy will work father, right? Abba, father means daddy. It's an intimate term. So, Abraham was father. And Sarah now has a term that relates as a mother. So God's using them as father and mother. You can find that down there in verse number 16. And I'll bless her and give thee a son of her. Yea, I will bless her and she shall be a mother of nations. Kings of people shall be of her. In other words, he says, my purpose, my position in life for this lady, Sarah, now, is that you have not heard your name until now, but now you have heard your name, so you're not just occupying space in this world. I have a purpose for you. And God's saying, and that purpose is, we don't need no more Hagar's running around here. We don't need no more Ishmael's running around here. Y'all got that? Now, you're stuck with one. And the Bible, even, even the father said, he's going to be a wild man. And he is. You can't negotiate with them. You can't reason with them. You can't talk to them. They could, they'll, they'll lie to you in a minute. You can walk up. To in, in, in their countries and in their countries they will say one thing to you and before you can get gone you, you can they'll, 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 they'll shoot you in the back or cut your throat or skin you alive listen they, they're wild men and that's who Ishmael was and that's where their peoples come from and he says you already got one you don't need another one so then Abraham when he heard that laughed now, look at that. He laughed. Strange place to laugh. And Abraham fell upon his face. That clears it up for me. Abraham fell upon his face and laughed and said with his mouth. Oh, wait a minute. Is that what that said? Said in his heart, Shall a child be born unto him that is a hundred years old, and shall Sarah that is ninety years old bear? In other words, that was that that was he he just broke out laughing when he thought about the fact that that was going to really happen. He's laughing in faith. Are y'all with me? He's laughing in faith here. He, he's laughing here that 
he, he, he's not mocking God like, like Sarah had done earlier when he had talked to God. He's not doing that at all. It's a laughter of faith. It's a humorous, hearty kind of laugh because we know that because he's on his face showing reverence to God and laughing about what God's going to do. I'd laugh too. If two people walked down the aisle Sunday morning and said, Brother Glenn, I want you to pray for us. I'm a hundred and she's 90 and we're about to have twins. What would you think? You'd think that's crazier to run over a dog. That's exactly what you'd think. You'd think that's nuts. But so he, he begins to laugh about what God, but he does it in reverence because he falls on his face before God and laughs at what God is going to accomplish. And so this is a laugh of faith. It wasn't mocking laughter. Now, some people laugh at sin. Don't laugh at sin. Sin's not funny. Sin's not funny. Don't laugh at sin. Are y'all with me? Ah, it's no big deal, you know, it's okay. Uh, You know, er everybody has to sow some wild seeds. Yeah, remember, but wild seeds come up. What you sow, you shall reap. Remember that. So it, it wasn't mocking laughter. Uh, the, uh, the thoughts and, and misfortunes of others you should never laugh at. Don't laugh when somebody else is having trouble paying their bills. There's probably been a time in your life when you had trouble paying yours. And if not, there may be another day. Don't laugh. Don't laugh when somebody's driving a car that you think, well, I don't know why they don't get rid of that piece of junk and, and get them something nice like, like, like everybody else has got. Listen, may, that may be the best they can do. They may be doing everything they can do under God's faith promise, and yet you're laughing at faith. I ran a car that had over 300,000 miles on it, and the mom, uh, the uh, thermometers, that ain't not thermometer, but what do you call it? Uh, the thing that spins around and tells you how fast you're not supposed to be going. That thing had been broke three times. So I don't know how many miles that car had on it. And finally, the deacons, that was what I was driving when I first come here. It was like getting in a tin can, you know, and starting up a little bitty motor and putting it in. It was like, there you go. But it got 50 miles a gallon, and I was happy. I didn't make any money. And so I had some people that, you know, got to laughing at my ride. They laughed at my ride. I, I, I had rigged it where it had a fan. The fan went out on it, and, and, and the only way it was out putting a new fan on it was to uh, try to find a switch. And so what I did is I run a piece of wire inside my car, put a switch on it so that when I stopped, I had to cut that switch off because if I didn't, it was sitting there, just the fan, just to run, and people walk by, and I'm like, what's that car doing? Nobody's in it. 
and, and I, I, while I was in Bible college, my windshield wipers broke. I didn't have the money to go buy a windshield wiper. And so a friend and I, we, 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 went and, we went and got us a little, bitty, a little bitty drill, and we drilled a hole down and got us a piece of wire and wrapped that wire in it and made it work so it would go back and forth. Don't laugh at people, folks. That's the best we could do. That was it. So don't laugh when folks sometimes get down. I think that's wrong to make a mock at sin or to make a mock at the promises of God. Don't do that. When God's promised somebody something, you don't laugh at it because there may be a time you'll cry over it. No, with me? But this laughter of faith Notice how Abraham laughed out of sheer joy. He laughed out of sheer joy. I think we can go to Romans chapter 4, and I'm not going to go there and read it, but I want you to write that down and go home and read it. And the reason I know he's laughing out of sheer faith is is because the Bible says that Abraham believed the promise before before it even happened, as if it had already been done. He so much believed God, he hadn't even seen it yet, but he believed God and he was laughing. He was laughing out of sheer faith of what that was going to do to people's minds. That was going to blow their mind. And so he was happy over what God was about to do. And in Matthew chapter 9, verse number 2, we, we find that, that there was a cheerfulness and a happiness about uh, forgiveness. When their sins had been forgiven, folks, listen, if there's ever a time you're going to get glad, it ought to be when your sins are forgiven. And then through the book of Acts, you'll find the word cheer, the word cheer, which most of the time kind of means merry, or really, it really kind of means foreknowledge. You see, when God tells you something, you can laugh because you have foreknowledge. If God gives you a promise, God knows what's going to happen. We can laugh. Listen, folks, when the rapture comes, I'm going to laugh all the way through the devil's domain. You can spit at a demon if you want to. Listen, that's, you, you don't, you, you say, you can't do that. Listen, God's give us a promise. And we know we're going up. So it's a laugh of what? Laugh of faith. Paul told them on that boat in Acts 27, he, he, he said, come down, boys, come down, boys. Be of good cheer. That word there means to be freshened, to be freshened up. Listen, God has promised me none of you shall perish. Sit down, calm down. Everything's going to be all right. And that's the kind of faith we have right here. Are, are, are y'all still with me? Now, the Bible uh, tells us in Romans chapter 12, verse number 8, that we ought to show mercy with cheer. Mercy. In other words, we ought to be able to do for somebody else what everybody else is laughing at, but we ought to be able to do it for them and laugh because we was able to do something for God. Now, I don't mean ho, 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 
kind of laughter. I don't mean, you know, these, this laughter you can hear all over, all over the country. It doesn't have to be that kind of laughter. You can just laugh to yourself. I laugh to myself all the time. And I'm sure you laugh to yourself all the time. You should, because I've seen you do some things you ought to be laughing about. I've, I laugh to myself about things that, that I've done. And so it, it has a fresh effect about it when it, Romans says, show mercy with cheer. Do something for somebody. Bless somebody. Help somebody. Give somebody something. Buy somebody something. Help somebody in their need and in their misery and in their sickness and, in, and when they're down and when they're discouraged. Help somebody and it'll help you. Are y'all with me? Now, let's go on a little bit further. When Abraham heard after 13 years, God speak. God hadn't talked to him in 13 years. God hadn't talked to him in 13 years. And God speaks. I've been amazed at how I've been accused of the hand of God not being on me and I'm not being anointed of God and all kinds of things since I've been sick. And um, I get kind of, to me, I, I, I laugh inside because the people who said that is a fool. Number one, they don't know. Number two, to make that statement, they're going to have to give an account of that someday. So you've got to be real careful about trying to pronounce. I hear people say all the time, well, I, they're not saved. Well, how do you know? Who made you God? Is this the great white throne? Nope, it's not. Be careful. Be careful. You won't be laughing. You'll be crying. Amen? So I, I, get, I, I laugh to myself when I hear some of the things I, I did that I never even come close to doing, and it's funny. It's just funny. And it's been happening for you ever since I've come to this town. They'd be saying this and saying that, and if I went to another town, they'd be saying this, they'd be saying that. Country communities are a little bit different. They're a little bit, uh, a little bit kinder, and, 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 you know, they don't just drive the nail in your back. They just tap it in softly, you know, that way. But uh, and, and, am I not right, Brother Page? That's the way they do it. And, and so you can laugh out of sheer joy when somebody says something ridiculous about you or about one of your friends or about one of your fellow believers or about some preacher you know, and you know it is an absolute fallacy, you can laugh about that. You can laugh about that. I mean, it, it's, it, I, it, is, it always tickles me to death. When somebody accuses me of having a young girlfriend when they see me with Sharon, they say, well, has Sharon got that old man with her? And it makes Sharon fight mad. She don't laugh. She's chewing her teeth and biting her tongue and ready to explode. And she said, that, 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 that wasn't, I wasn't with him as my daddy. Boy, she's mad. I'd laugh and I thought it was funny. I thought you had a pretty good looking old man, you know, and here. <laughs> so 
Um, when he gets on his face here, he's showing his reverence for the promise that he's going to get. And then he's showing his rejoicing with his laughter of the promise he's going to receive. See both of them there? Later on, Sarah laughs in unbelief, and then she laughs for joy. The word Isaac, anybody know what it means? Laughter. Isaac means laughter. So Isaac was laughing boy. He was the laughing boy. Not one, not one of these were boring legalists. They were not boring legalists. They, they had laughing joy in their life. Now, I want to tell you something tonight. There is a time not to laugh. And there's not anywhere that I find in the Bible that says you ought to have fun. Now, you can have fun as long as it's godly fun. But the Bible never tells us to have fun because fun is always associated with the life of the flesh. So God never, he don't use that word. He uses the word cheer because that's something that can happen inside. He uses other words like gladness. That happens inside. Rejoicing, that happens inside. So he uses words that cannot be misconstrued uh, by someone else. He didn't say, man, let's go out and have fun. We'll get us about a six-pack. We'll have fun. He don't say that. No. He leaves it off where it's not misunderstood. So Isaac means laughter. But James chapter 4, verses 8 through 9 says that sin is no laughing matter. And there's a time for seriousness and a time for laughing. You say, when is that? Well, it depends on how you define your sin. Here's what I'm finding. I'm finding in the church that people are defining their sin different than God defines it in the Bible. I'm serious. I'm talking about good people. I'm talking about some of us, some good people. I mean, and you say, well, you know, it, 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 well, it worked out good. So what? You didn't obey God. That's wrong. Just because it worked out good. Folks, I got news for you. Everything's going to work out good. God's working everything according to his good pleasure. It's all going to work out good. It's all going to work out for his pleasure. But not all of it's going to be good. So we need to be real, real careful about laughing because sometimes we define our sins different than the Bible does. You see, we tell a lie and then we justify it. And I could go, I have an addendum sheet. Maybe I'll do that next week and I'll show you that. We can't tell a lie, but then we'll justify it by going around the rows here, and the time we get through with it, it looks like it's cool, you know? Y'all with me? 
Or we can, we can just have a couple of drinks and, and with somebody, and, and when you ask them about it, they'll say, well, you know, I know I shouldn't do that. It's probably not the right thing to do, but I've been trying to win them to Christ for so long, and I just went tonight as a witness. No, you lost your witness that night. Don't try to redefine what God has already defined. And so, so many people are defining sin in ways that God didn't define sin. Are y'all with me? How much time I got? Oh, I got plenty of time, an hour or two. But when you, when you define sin, according, let's just look at James. Look over James 4. Let me just show that to you so, so you won't mess up and I won't mess up. I think we all have a habit of wanting to define what we do in a good way, don't we? For instance, you know, if your wife done something you don't like and you slapped her in the next week, here's what you'd say if somebody said, well, she had it coming. I'm Let me tell you what she did. No, you redefined sin. Vengeance is mine. I will repay, saith the Lord. Mm, I have a hard time with that one. Glenn, don't you? <laughs> I have a hard time with that one. A vengeance is mine. I will repay, saith the Lord. You never have a right to slap a woman up against the wall. So quit redefining your sinfulness. And, so, and how, look how James kind of deals with that here when I, when I find it instead of preaching. Get to preaching and can't find my scriptures. In the book of James, chapter number 5, I want you to look at verse number 8, okay? Do you have it? All right. Be ye also patient, establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord draweth nigh. Grudge not one against another, brethren, lest ye be condemned. Behold, the judge standeth at the door. Take, my brethren, the prophets who have spoken in the name of the Lord, for an example of suffering, affliction, and patience. Behold, we count them happy, which endure. You have heard of the patience of Job and have seen the end of the Lord, that the Lord is very pitiful and tender mercy. You see what he says? I don't care what you go through in your life. He said, count them happy. God didn't do anything bad to them. God didn't do anything ugly to them because they obeyed him to the T. He said, count them happy. And so look at, this, look at the love of the Father now, verses 18 through 22. Make no mistake now, after 13 years, Abraham loved Ishmael. I always wanted a son. I never had one that lived. But I always wanted a son. Now I got a grandson. I guess now I'm glad I didn't get a son. But you always, I guess every daddy wants a son. So Abraham had a son, 13 years old. Now he wasn't in no physical shape probably to be out, you know, hitting rocks with him down in the creek bed or uh, hunting with him or are working with him or doing all those kinds of things. But in 13 years, he learned to love his son. 
And so he wanted him blessed even though Isaac was on the way and he knew he was on the way and he knew he was coming, but he wanted Ishmael blessed. He loved that boy too. That was his. That was his boy. Oh, it wasn't her boy. She had consented to it. There's probably a lot of folks out there uh, that had children they didn't consent to, but she consented to it in all of her sin. And so uh, he has a son, 13 years old, and the covenant was only with Isaac, not Ishmael. So God said, since you have never promised to bless Ishmael, would you please do something for him? Y'all getting this? And so Ishmael represents the flesh, and it brought sorrow. And Isaac represents the spirit, and it brings joy. So put those two together, and you'll find that all through the Scripture because, one, you know, one's flesh, one's spirit. One's flesh, one's spirit. Always, what, what, what's happening? Always going against each other, right? Always in war, always at battle, always in war. Y'all with me? So God... You say, why does that happen? Now, get this statement. I'm going to be through pretty quick. God always rejects the first birth. You go back and look at the 12 boys, you'll find out. God moved the hands, you remember? God always rejects the firstborn. That's why the Bible says... You must be born again. You know why? Because he rejected your first birth. It, it was a birth where you come from a sinful womb doing sinful things. So he rejects that. And so that's why you find through the Bible on several occasions where God will do it. So Ishmael representing a fleshly way of accomplishing things. And if you'll see in the Arab world, that's how they do. They use a fleshly way to accomplish things. They gather people together with their religion. Who accomplishes the most besides the Catholic Church, which don't accomplish much anymore, but who accomplishes the most through their religion? The Arabs, right? How do they get their people? They gather their people through religion. And they get everybody to come under the rule of Muhammad and, 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 and the three books that they have. And they, they get everybody to do this. And the women, you know, have to cover up their head and, and, and all these kinds of things. And they can have as many, several wives if they want to. And, and, and they can do all those things. And if the men die, they get to go to heaven where there's 70 virgins. The poor women, they don't ever say what's going to happen to them. I don't know about you, but if I was a woman, I wouldn't be a Muslim for nothing. Now, the problem is, is they're already married to one, they're already birthed into the family of one, and there's no way for them to get out except being killed. And so what does he do? What does he represent? He does everything he does by the flesh. He wants to kill somebody, he does it with the power of the flesh. You in America, how we used to win our battles on our knees. And now we win them. Now we win them 
In fact, now we don't even win them. So God blessed Ishmael, and we still see it in the Arab world. But I'm going to close with this. Look at verse 22 through 27. Look at the Lord of the family. All who belonged to Abraham were to be circumcised, and all who wouldn't could leave. Everybody that was under Abraham's rule, that means everybody who worked for him, that means everybody who was a slave for him, that means everybody that was in his family and been birthed to him or, or birthed to the children, all, all of those or had been birthed to his servants, all of those was to be circumcised. And if you refused circumcision, you had to leave. In other words, if you refused circumcision, it was like us refusing Jesus Christ. You were saying, I just let my life live in the flesh the rest of my life. I don't need any spirit your guidance. So that's the way it was. Verse 22 through 27, you can find there in, in, in Genesis 17, all who belonged to Abraham were to be circumcised and those who wouldn't had to leave. He gave them a choice. He gives you a choice. Did you hear me now? He gives you a choice. He gave me a choice. Maybe my last one. I don't know. He gives you, gives you the opportunity to be saved. But if you reject his covenant of promise to which all shall be blessed in his seed, which is Jesus Christ, if you reject that, then you have to live a life of damnation because you have no promise of eternal life. And so he perfectly obeyed God here, did exactly what God said to do. And I, I, I think we'll, we'll find some more things later that's, that's kind of interesting that God says about him. But uh, let, let's just move on right quick. There was to be no protest about this thing of circumcision. There was to be no refusals. There was to be no dissensions about it. There was to be no fears about it. There was to be no excuses that you couldn't do it. It was very painful. They had no sedatives. If he's going to get drunk, that'd be the time to do it. It was bloody. It was embarrassing, but it was commanded. And God gave real seriousness to it because from that day forward, his people was marked off by that command. Abraham led the way at 99. When we're baptized, baptism doesn't save us. And it's not even the same, exact same comparison, but baptism is a sign that we have embraced an eternal covenant. Would you say amen to that? And, and there's no place in God's family, and there's no place in that baptistry right there if you hadn't been born again. There's just no place. And that's what Abraham is teaching us. We can make too much out of it, 
especially baptism, or we cannot make enough out of it. Some people says it saves me, and some people says we don't need it at all. But we do need it because God commanded it. But we don't need it to be saved. My Lord took care of that on the cross. You're okay. It won't change you on the outside. You've got to have the change from the inside, right? Right? It, that's the way it is. Now, I'll give you a verse, and I'm quitting, okay? I want you to look at Colossians chapter 2, and we're going to close with this verse, okay? And, and look, look at your husband and say, Phew, about time. Okay? Or your wife or your neighbor or whoever sat inside of you. Make sure it ain't a visitor. Colossians. Okay. Y'all got it? As we look in the book of Colossians, chapter 2, verse number 11, in whom also you are circumcised with the circumcision made without hands. Now, is that the same one that Abraham had? No. How did they do it? With hands. Hands. Bloody hands. And it says, in putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. So who takes care of the thing that's given us the most problem in our life, which is the flesh? It's Christ who does it. Now, wait a minute. I'm not done. Listen. Buried with him in baptism, wherein also ye are risen with him through the faith. Now look at this word of the operation of God. In other words, he takes us into a holy operating room. And in a quarter of a second, he brings us out sanitized, glorified, born again, and saved. You see it? And look, who hath raised him from the dead, and you, he's talking about the church, being dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, hath he quickened. That means he's given you life with him, having forgiven all your trespasses. I'm going to close on that. It's just too good not to close on that verse. I want to ask you something tonight. I'm not talking about physical circumcision. There's reasons for that. It's hygiene reasons. There's, uh, there's the command of God reasons. There's, there's, there's reasons for that. But I want to ask you something tonight. Do you know for sure if you died right now that God has done a spiritual operation on your life, that there was a genuine change in your life, that you're not the person you used to be, that one day you said, God, I can't handle this old flesh. This flesh has taken over my life. It makes me do what I don't want to do. It leads me to do what I don't want to do. It helps me and motivates me to do what I don't want to do. And I know I shouldn't do, so God, I come and I repent who I am in my heart. I'm sorry for what I've done. And I'm willing to turn from that sin. God, would you please forgive me? And God, would you do an operation on me right now that will last forever and forgive me and save me? 
I'll look to you in faith to do it because that's all I got to offer you is just faith in your promise at the cross. And you know what Jesus will do? You won't even see him, but he'll slip into your life and perform an operation that no doctor could ever do.